You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. All right, good morning. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 1. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, as we've been talking about, uh, today starts the Advent season. It's uh, typically four weeks where the, the, the whole church, uh, in a lot of ways, comes together to celebrate uh, Christmas, to prepare our hearts. It's a time to anticipate and to remember how Jesus came into the world to save us and how one day he's coming back and he's going to make all things right It's a season of waiting. It's a season of anticipating. It's a season of reflecting on the Messiah. Uh, And so in keeping with the Advent season, uh, we are going to start a a new series. And kind of the series is looking at some of our favorite Christmas hymns, some of the songs that we so routinely uh, sing and know. Uh, And one of the reasons we want to do that is the more familiar you are with a song, it becomes super easy to just sing it and not think about what you're saying. You just go through the motions and it it brings up some nostalgia or some kind of Christmas memory. But what we want to kind of look at is how, how, how much theology, rich and deep and good theology is built into these songs that we sing. We want to unpack them looking at, at Scripture as our basis. Why do we sing this song and what does it mean to us? And why is this good news and hope to my soul in this time of waiting and celebrating and anticipating? Uh, so today we want to just briefly uh, kind of launch out of looking at the, the song we sang when we started the gathering, uh, Come Thou long expected Jesus. Come, thou long expected Jesus. It's a great summary of the Advent season. Uh, we've got our Advent guides. Hopefully, you've picked one up or you've got a digital copy, copy somewhere uh, that you can look at. Uh, begins this week, and you're going to read uh, the word Advent, uh, comes from a Latin word, and it means coming. God's p- people anticipating the coming of their Messiah. And so the the song reads, or we would sing it, I'm not going to sing for you, but uh, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. For the people of Israel, come thou long-expected Jesus, was the long-awaited coming of the Messiah. They were and had been a people of exile, waiting and hoping in prayerful expectation of the coming Messiah that was promised to them. The stories they told, the scriptures they read, the holidays they celebrated told of God intervening on their behalf. He freed them from Egypt. He defeated countless enemies. And he brought them back from exile. The ever-present God leading, guiding, and communicating with his people. God promised 
to send them a Messiah to rescue, to redeem them, to free them. They remember God's faithfulness and they continued to anticipate what God was going to do. But they had to wait. Like there was a lot of waiting involved and anticipating the coming of the Messiah to rescue and redeem them. So uh, I got three kids and uh, kind of early and in, in maybe three or four, maybe into to five-year-old, uh, you realize that kids begin to understand uh, the concept of time, but not fully. So uh, it used to be where uh, one of my kids, it doesn't matter, they all did it, they would say something like, well, yesterday we went swimming. And you're like, nah, I don't think so. Uh, it's November. But what they just meant is it happened in the past. So for a long time, yesterday just meant anything that has happened in the past because they just couldn't, they couldn't understand it. They didn't get it. And I also kind of came to realize that anything that took more than five minutes to them, they would say, oh, it's taking forever. This is just forever. And it's like they don't have this concept of time. And parents, you, you know this, uh, it's exaggerated on any car ride. It's just exaggerated because they don't know how long it's gonna take. And they can't, even if you tell them, they can't anticipate it. They don't have that concept. And so you hear this consistently. Are we there yet? And if you're a parent, you hate those four words because all you, my answer is, you'll know when we're there because I will stop the car. Like that is your clue. You don't have to ask before the, the car will be stopped. But one of the, the, the patterns I've kind of seen uh, with my kids, and, uh, let's be honest though, uh, are we there yet? You may not say it, but that's kind of our heart's cry for all of us. We've kind of just matured out from saying, are we there yet? But we all feel that. Are we there yet? We have to have this longing. But anyway, in the car, uh, it begins with uh, a little bit more of anticipation, you know, especially if we're going somewhere fun. Hey, Dad, are we there yet? And you kind of feel the energy, the excitement. <clears throat> but slowly, uh, maybe not even slowly, uh, eventually, uh, it, impatience build. And it changes like, hey, hey, Dad, are we there yet? And then as time continues on, instead of just impatience, maybe there's frustrations. Hey, Dad, when, when are we going to get there? And as time continues on, may, maybe, maybe it's a little bit more forceful and filled with angry. Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? Maybe it builds even longer. Instead of just anger or frustration, there's bitterness and resentfulness. Are we even going to get there? Are we even ever going to be there yet? This is kind of the feeling that the people of Israel had. God, are we there yet? When are you coming? When are you going to be faithful and true to your promises? When will you rescue and redeem us? The time period between the book of Malachi, which is the, the last book of the Bible, is the last prophet of the Old Testament, and the coming uh, 
of the prophet John the Baptist, who's the, the first prophet we see uh, in the New Testament, was approximately 400 years. And for 400 years, the people of God waited without a word from the Lord. 400 years of silence. Just to give you a, 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 maybe a, a concept of that, uh, Thanksgiving the first Thanksgiving, like the Pilgrim's Indian Thanksgiving, happened 400 years ago. Like, that's a long time ago. We weren't even a country then. We, were, we had some colonies. We were about 150 years before we were even a country. So they waited 400 years. That's something like 20 generations come, came and went, lived and died, longing, listening, anticipating, wanting, but never seeing. They passed down the stories, they passed down the celebrations, they passed down the traditions, but over time, over hundreds of years, the people must have began to doubt, to forget God's promises, to forsake the traditions, the scriptures, the God of their fathers. There's a, an author kind of a leadership guru guy, his name's John Gordon. And he said, where there is a void in communication, negativity will fill it. I mean, legit, if someone doesn't answer my text message in about five minutes, I jump to all kinds of conclusions. God went silent for 400 years. Can you imagine the negative thoughts? God, have you given up on us? Are these stories even true? Who are you? Where are you? When will you fix things? When are you coming? Have you forgotten us? Will you ever speak again? And they waited with impatience and frustration and anger and doubt and grief. For us, as we sing, come, the long-expected Jesus. We are singing as we long the awaited return of our Messiah. In the same way as the Israelites, we too remember the work of God and we anticipate his coming work. We spend these four weeks in hope and anticipation and celebration, but at the same time, we also acknowledge our hurt our frustrations, our pains, our loneliness, and our longings. We cling to what God has accomplished in the person and work of Jesus, and we're hopeful for what is going to happen when he returns and makes all things right. But in the meantime, we wait. We're caught waiting, anticipating, similar to the people of Israel. I think there are times for many of us, in many different ways, we ask the same question, God, where are you? God, where are you? Maybe for some of you, it's in your boredom. You feel like life is Groundhog Day. Wake up, drink coffee, eat, work, sleep. Wake up, drink coffee, eat, work, sleep. Wash and repeat, same thing every day. And the monotony of life is just lulling you to sleep. 
It's like your own cruise control. And your sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment is drowned out in the routine of life. And whether you realize it or not, you're asking the question, hey God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? Maybe some of you are asking the question, God, where are you in the midst of my pain? Maybe your life isn't what you wanted it to be. You aren't who you wanted to be. Maybe you've been hurt by other people. Maybe you are still struggling with a sin that seems like it's taken control of your life. Maybe you're dealing with grief or loss and you're just trying to make sense of your world. And you're probably asking the question, hey God, where where are you? Others of you might be dealing with loneliness. Feels like you're left on your own. Maybe you have unmet romantic desires. Maybe you deal with same-sex attraction and you're trying to faithfully live a celibate life. Maybe you're, you're caught up in, in a marriage uh, that isn't what you wanted and you're just lonely. And all of it, all the loneliness, it just gets magnified in a season of COVID and isolation. And maybe for the, the past months, if, if not year, you've been asking, hey God, where are you in my loneliness? Bonhoeffer wrote, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. The season of Advent is for all of those who are longing and waiting. Advent is the answer to where is God and has he forsaken me? Advent is a reminder that he has come and that he will be coming back again. So as I mentioned earlier, we're gonna be in John chapter one. We're gonna focus on one verse today. So John chapter one, verse 14, it reads, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. John borrows the Greek word logos, the word, uh, to explain a very deeply held Jewish belief. So let me just unpack that a little bit for you. The word, the Greek word logos, it was coined by uh, a Greek man named Heraclitus, and it just means divine reason, the divine plan that gives order to the universe. So John is taking this Greek word, logos, and he's applying that to Jesus. Jesus is the word. He is the reason. He is the plan. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, all-knowing, all-powerful, holy, and supreme. The word, logos. For the Jewish audience, when they read the word, they are connecting it uh, to the, uh, the word of God and what it meant to them, how the word was an extension of God himself. If you go back a few verses, John 1, 1, it says, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. It's an echo of Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning. And it's a reminder that the word is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Uh, 
he, is, he existed with God the Father forever, part of the creation story. And so there's this deep connection with the Jewish listener when they hear the word. They are thinking about God and how he personally spoke to his people to reveal himself and his plan. So you see it from the very beginning. God speaks to the void and creates a universe, a planet, and a people. God speaks to Abraham and makes a covenant with his people. God speaks to Moses and rescues his people out of slavery. God spoke to the prophets and calls his people to repentance. God is consistently, ongoingly speaking and talking. And so when John writes the word, he's saying the divine reason that gives order and meaning, the word that creates and connects the word, that word became flesh. And what John is trying to say is the wait is over. God has spoken. He is here. And to explain a little bit more about the absurdity of the incarnation, the fact that God came in human flesh, if you skip on down a, a few verses, a few words in John chapter 1:14, it says, and they have seen his glory. The word glory there, it means preeminence, magnificence, excellence, kind of any word that ends with ints. It's, that's glory. That's it. And, and it's a word that is just used to try and grasp something ungraspable. Graspable. Graspable? I can't say that. Anyway, it, it's trying to help us understand who God is. All of his splendor, his majesty, his supreme rule, his brightness, his absolute perfection. The word glory is an attempt to label God's otherness. His glory, completely different and better and more supreme than us. The word Jesus with all of his glory, all of his otherness, all of his beauty, his majesty, his holiness, his power. He lowered himself and he was born into the most inglorious situation. He became a helpless baby, born to teenage parents, unwed parents, in, in the middle of a, a, a feeding trough. The way that Philippians 2 says it is, but he being Jesus, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The word became flesh. Jesus became a baby with all of his glory, with all of his preeminence, all of his magnificence, all of his excellence. He emptied himself and became a servant from all of his otherness to complete ordinariness. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, by his poverty, might become rich. He lowered himself from riches to rags. It's the reverse of the American dream. Instead of moving on up, Jesus went moving on down. Sacrificial, at the utmost cost to himself, the word became flesh. Hallelujah, Merry Christmas. This is the Christmas story. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The next word I want to call your attention to is the word dwelt. 
Uh, it means to fix one's tabernacle. It's not a word we use too often. Uh, tabernacle, uh, another way to say it is to fix one's tent. It's to abide, to set up a tent, to take residence. God, uh, to, to go make a temporary home or residence. So uh, he dwelt among us. Another way to say it is he tabernacled with us. He set up a tent in our midst. Uh, this is an imagery that would be very known to the Jewish uh, people because uh, back when God rescued his people out of Egypt and was taking them through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, uh, he instructed them to build a tabernacle in which he would indwell his spirit there. Exodus 25 verse 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. The tabernacle or the tent of meetings is referred to roughly 130 times in the Old Testament. It's a precursor to the temple in Jerusalem. It's a movable place of worship for the children of Israel. It was where God met with Moses and his people to give them instruction. When the Israelite camped in the desert, the tabernacle was set up right in the middle of camp and all 12 tribes made their tents around it. It's this central part of who they were and how they journeyed out. God in their midst, he dwelt among us. The word us there, this is referring to John uh, and the disciples, the apostles, uh, who were bearing witness to the Messiah. Jesus, the God of the universe, the divine reason and plan, took up home with us. And what John is saying is we saw him, we ate with him, we walked with him, we saw him die, we saw him resurrect. He was with us. And the incarnation of Jesus uh, he made his home on earth with his people. And one of the ways you can even tell the whole story of the Bible is that God is making a home with his people. So let me just give you a quick overview of what this looks like. With creation and the garden, God makes a perfect home and creates man to enjoy it with him. Of course, we rebel, and in our sin, we are exiled from his presence. But that doesn't stop God. He's consistently making a home with his people. As the Israelites traveled in the wilderness, God dwelt in the tabernacle. He made a home with his people. When Israel made it to the promised land, God dwelt in the temple. He made a home with his people. Jesus entered the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made a home with his people. After his death and resurrection, Jesus sent the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within his people because he has made a home with his people. Jesus is coming back and he will right all that is wrong. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and he will make his home with his people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is our hope. This is what Advent is all about. God's presence with us. We often say, uh, if you've taken some of our classes with us, uh, that our number one rule for dealing with care issues is when in doubt, anybody? Be there. When in doubt, be there. 
It's not about what you say or even what you do. It's about showing up. I've been through a, a good bit of my own heartache and loss. At times in my life, I have been overwhelmed by darkness, my own hurt and loneliness, tired and weary. And when I think back and I reflect back to some of those moments, I'll be honest with you, I cannot recall words that were said to me. If I'm honest, in the midst of all that, I don't know how helpful any words ever were. <laughs> and I definitely, looking back on it, I can't remember maybe what people said to me. But I'll never forget who was with me. I'll never forget that. Those who walked with me in the midst of darkness. I remember when I got the tragic news who I wanted to call and whose voice I needed to hear. I remember who dropped everything just to be there. When there was nothing they, that they could even do to help me, they were there. I know uh, who spent countless hours in a waiting room just so that when I walked out, I could see a familiar face. I know who sat with me on a hospital floor. I remember who held me when I wept. I remember those who cried ugly tears with me. I will never forget the people who tried to help me pick up the pieces, us pick up the pieces, when we felt like we couldn't put our life back together. I know who checks on me regularly. I, I remember and recall who anyone or, or those who know those anniversary dates and make sure that they check on me and my family. Because although I may not remember words that were said to me, I will never forget who was with me. And this is the hope of Advent. Jesus dwelt among us when I faced the darkest caves in my life. God set up a tent right there with me. In my darkness, he was there. His faithful presence was near and dear to me. So in your boredom, remember that God is with us. That the whole story of God is that he tabernacles with his people. That he's promised to set up a tent with us right beside us. The word of God, Jesus, Emmanuel, actively present in your life. And his presence brings meaning and purpose to your routine. In your loneliness, remember that God is with us, that the whole story of God is that he tabernacles with his people, that when you face the dark caves of your life, 
He sets up a tent right there with you. In your darkness, He is present right beside you. The Word of God, Jesus Emmanuel, is actively present in your life, and His presence brings peace and comfort. In your pain, remember that God is with us. That the whole story of God is that He tabernacles with His people. And when we face the darkness in our life, He promises to set up a tent right there with us. In your darkness, He is there. The Word of God, Jesus, Emmanuel, is actively present in your life. The all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God is still reigning, and His presence brings hope and solace to your pain. The first week of Advent focuses on hope. He came to us. The Word of God dwelt among us. His presence is with us and we await his return. So as we close and we just remember the word became flesh and dwelt among us, let us again read the words of come thou long expectant Jesus together. If you will read with me. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. This Advent season, let us find our hope because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. May remember, may we remember that God has made, he is making, and he will make a home with us.